Hello everybody, this is our ninth sermon looking at the book of Philippians. Today we're in Philippians chapter 4 verses 2 to 9. The title of our current series is How to Follow Christ in a Challenging World. And this week we're going to learn to keep doing the basics well. If you ever want to master something in life, there is a key piece of advice that you will do well to follow. And it is this. Keep doing the basics well. If you want to learn a musical instrument, you need to practice your scales. As you do, your hands get used to going up and down the octaves, passing through the varying accidentals of different key signatures. Practicing scales may seem a little boring and repetitive, but eventually it enables you to play complex pieces of music at high speed. If you want to become fluent in another language, you need to learn your verb tables. In Gallic, the first one you learn is the verb to be. Me, who, a, e, shin, shif, it. Once you have this fixed in your memory, you then have the building blocks required to form basic sentences. Of course, as you then start progressing in the language, there's just no shortcut to learning new vocabulary and practicing a bit every day. If you want to become good at a particular sport, you need to train. But training doesn't just involve playing matches. The best sports stars do drills and set plays over and over again until they become instinctive. Footballers in training pass and move, pass and move, pass and move. Hopefully in England's case they will have been practising penalties. Scotland though seem to have that particular part of the game sorted. Be it learning a musical instrument, a new language or a sport then, The key to becoming good at them is to keep doing the basics well. But as I was preparing this sermon, I discovered that this wise advice is not just being used for mastering a new skill. It's now being used for mastering life in general. There are in the world today what are called life coaches, People realise they need wise advice and guidance and support in their lives, so they turn to these professionals, often paying a handsome fee for their time. This week I came across a life coach giving their best tips on how to master life. Just listen to this. Get to work every day, and while you're at it, get there on time. Work hard to meet your targets and deadlines. Keep calm during a crisis. Smile. Help others smile. Make the time to read on a daily basis. Keep moving. Be kind, encouraging and generous. Get a good night's sleep. Don't overcomplicate life by getting distracted by extravagant, flamboyant actions that seem out of reach. Just do the basics well on a daily basis. There is undoubtedly some wisdom in those statements. Nothing earth-shattering, no golden ticket to brilliance, just plain common sense. But this particular life coach summed up all his expertise with the line, just do the basics well on a daily basis. Building good habits, that is the way to success in life.
So why have I begun this sermon in this way? Well, it's because there is nothing new under the sun. And the Apostle Paul gave this same advice of keep doing the basics well to the Philippians 2000 years ago. Okay, he didn't use those exact words, but that is what he was thinking when he wrote the passage we have just read. Over the last eight weeks, we have discovered that the church in Philippi was going through a hard time. There was a lot of persecution about. Paul himself was in prison as he wrote this letter. There was a lot of immorality in the city, temptation at every turn. There was a lot of bad teaching going on that threatened to lead the church astray and damage the spread of the gospel. There was also a lot of disappointment for this young church as their lives were so hard. As we have journeyed through this letter, we have found ourselves resonating with much of this difficulty. Paul then has been writing to help the Philippians in their crisis. He's tried to pick them up and urge them on. He's written to encourage them with personal affection. He's strived to point them to Jesus and he's sought to offer wise advice. Much of this has been around the theme of unity. The church was to stand together, serve together, look after one another until they came out the other side of their trial. Again, we have found this all so relevant to us as a small church trying to make our way through the pandemic and the challenges of being a Christian in 21st century Britain. Today, we've begun to reach the end of this letter. Paul is starting to bring his thoughts to a close and as a result, his writing style changes. He turns from long, logical arguments to short, punchy statements. He moves from dialogue to almost a list. Quite simply, Paul lays out the basics that he thinks the Philippians need to keep practicing day by day in order to survive and thrive. There is nothing earth-shattering here, no quick fixes, just simple advice, which if followed would develop godly habits in the Philippians' lives that would in turn make them more resilient and better at sharing God's love with the people around them. So what are the equivalents of scales, verb tables and passing drills for the average Christian? Well, in just eight verses, Paul gives five. First of all, Paul wants the Philippians to concentrate on how they are with other people. He wants them to look after their relationships. In verses 2 and 3, we discover that there has been a falling out in Philippi. Sadly, this happens to the best of us. And I mean that, the best of us. Paul takes the unusual step of mentioning the two protagonists by name, Eudia and Syntyche. We know practically nothing about them. We don't even know what they fell out about. All we do know is that they were real believers. Their names were written in the book of life. They were also active in their faith. They'd worked alongside Paul, sharing the gospel, obviously with considerable risk at times. The passage said that Eudia and Syntyche had contended for the Lord. The reality is from time to time, even the strongest, most faithful of believers get into disagreements. It's simply because we are human. We understand things differently. There is a diversity in our approach to difficult situations. 
We have different characters and different ways of responding when under pressure. We see this in our church here. This church is full of godly people who love the Lord and read the same Bible. But some of us want Scottish independence, some of us don't. Some of us like singing the Psalms, others of us prefer modern worship music. We interpret the Bible's teaching on the Sabbath, on the gifts of the Spirit, and how a church should be governed differently. Let me tell you, these differences in opinion will be there until the day Jesus returns. What we have to do then is to learn to live in unity with the people around us. For Paul, this is a basic, a primary building block of the church. The situation in Philippi had obviously got quite serious. Perhaps other people in the church were now taking sides with either Eudia or Syntyche, which is always a recipe for disaster. Perhaps that's why Paul takes the unusual step of naming them in what is a public letter. It may also be why he calls his companion in the church to go and help them sort out their differences. But whatever is the case, he gives them the golden advice for these situations. He pleads with them in verse 2 to be of the same mind in the Lord. What Paul means by that is not to fake agreement on an issue where they clearly disagree but to see their unity in Christ as much more important. Above and beyond what divides them, they are brought together in Jesus and what he has done for them. They are sisters at the cross and always will be. That is what we must always remember today when we disagree with someone in church. What unites us is infinitely stronger than what separates us. And we must practically live that fact out in our words and actions. We must choose to love our family members regardless, even when it is costly to do so. So that is basic number one. As Christians, we must constantly watch how we deal with other people in church. Basic number two is that we're to be people of praise. Verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again rejoice. How good it has been to sing again in church this last week. It has lifted all of our spirits. The act of Christians coming together to worship God is a very powerful thing. The Bible urges us to go on praising God regardless of whether we feel up or down. It encourages us to see that no matter what is going on in our lives there will still be things to thank God for. That is not to say there is never time for lament. The Psalms give us plenty of words to use in those moments. But that even our lament should gradually lead us back into praise. God is good. He made us. He saved us. He's with us. And he'll work things out for us. One day Jesus will return and everything will be put right. We'll see. As believers, we are to make praise a habit. It is to become an instinct in our lives. As we praise God, we lift up our eyes from our troubles and fix them on him. Praise reminds us who God is and how much he loves us. And that gives us hope. 
Despite all their troubles, the church in Philippi were to praise God as both individuals and a community together. Their corporate worship would inspire those who were particularly struggling. The third basic of the Christian faith is to maintain a good posture while going through life. In verse 5, Paul urges the Philippians to let your gentleness be evident to all. He then goes on to give them the reason why. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. This obviously relates back to that first basic of watching how we treat other people. But Paul now moves beyond Judea and Syntyche to speak to the whole church in Philippi. They and we are to take up a gentle posture with others. Now that's not to say that we are to become weak, limp and pathetic. It doesn't mean that we're to become doormats or to roll over as the world tries to steamroller us. Not at all. Jesus cleared the temple with a whip and the Apostle Paul did not hold back with his pen when he was righteously angry. What this means though is for our default setting to be gentleness. I was speaking to Stan this week and I hope he doesn't mind me sharing a part of his testimony. Stan told me the story of him standing outside a church in Bexley Heath. He was not a person of faith at the time, but he had questions. He stood on the opposite side of the road waiting for the service to finish. And as the congregation came out, he caught sight of someone that he described to me as having a welcoming face. Someone he thought he could trust and approach. That turned out to be the case. God helped Stan through that encounter. Indeed, years later, he took Mary to meet the man and his wife. We are to be gentle, caring, approachable people. But to enable this, Paul particularly wants us to work at being gentle towards those who are not very lovable. Perhaps those who are argumentative and frustrating. We are to be patient with them. This is why he reminds the Philippians that the Lord is near. He is present in our conversations and the Lord Jesus could return at any minute. Let us not waste opportunities to witness for him by being curt, impolite or too busy to deal with difficult people. Okay, there are limits. We know that. But Paul wants us to adopt a Christ-like posture. And that posture be it to young or old, sinner or saint, stranger or local, is gentleness. This is the third basic that we are to keep working on. And boy, does it need some work at times. The fourth basic in this passage that Christians need to try to keep doing well is prayer. We are to be people who practice prayer so often it becomes a habit. No matter what situation we find ourselves in, good or bad, we instinctively want to turn to God in it. Listen again to verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I've told you before that I am an anxious person. 
By that, I don't just mean a little worry at times. I mean that I can be crippled by anxiety. From work done with counsellors, it is a legacy of being bullied all the way through school. I can be so anxious that I cannot sleep at all. I toss and turn and groan through the night. Without fail, though, the one thing that helps me is when Emily rolls over, puts her hand on my shoulder and starts praying out loud for me. I would say it's possibly the greatest act of service Emily does for me in our marriage. Peace quickly descends and I do get to sleep. As we said at the start of this sermon, the Philippians had a lot to be anxious about. The church was under attack from all sorts of different directions. Some of the Philippians, by coming to Christ, would have lost friends and family. As we go through this pandemic today, we are experiencing more anxiety than perhaps we have ever done in our lives before. Will our plans go ahead? Will our family stay well? What if the virus mutates again? Will my business stay afloat? What if those families who are coming to church don't come back? It's not wrong to feel anxiety. It's a natural biological process designed to get us as humans to respond and make a positive difference. The response Paul urges is for us to turn to God in prayer. He is, after all, the Lord of heaven and earth, the creator and sustainer of everything that exists. He is, after all, the God who loves us so much he gave his only son to die for us. He is, after all, the God who gave us his spirit, so we need never be alone. God wants to help. We should seek his comfort, just like a child goes to their parent. Notice again that Paul encourages an aspect of thanksgiving amongst our petitions. As we said when talking about praise, just casting our eyes on God's goodness helps us to keep going. But by praying about the situations we find ourselves in, we are handing them over to the one being in the universe who can really make a difference. Prayer really works. God really answers it. Peace really can be experienced. It is a basic of Christian faith that we need to keep doing. We are to pray. So we've had four basics so far. Being careful how we treat other people, praising God regularly, maintaining a gentle posture and being people of prayer. There is one more to go. The fifth basic that Paul mentions is to strive for purity. Verses eight to nine. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. There is a very important lesson in these verses. As human beings... We're not what we think we are, but what we think we are. Let me say that again. We're not what we think we are, but what we think we are. In other words, what we spend our time focusing on and thinking about always, in the end, affects our behaviour. 
If a young person spends their whole time playing violent video games, then guess what? At some point, they will be violent in the playground. If you spend your whole time perusing the latest catalogues and online shops, you are going to become materialistic. If you spend your whole time with cynical, negative, critical people, you're going to be knocked down, not built up, and become critical like them. At the end of the day, what you put into your mind is what will come out of your mouth, hands and feet. As human beings, we are not what we think we are, but what we think we are. So Paul's final piece of advice, his fifth basic practice for a Christian, is to focus on what will make us pure. Reading scripture, devotional material, time spent wondering at creation, and importantly, surrounding ourselves with good examples, positive people, who will encourage us. If we seek out these things that are true and noble, praiseworthy and pure, we will find God's peace filling our lives rather than the turmoil that comes from filling our lives with rubbish, particularly from things like unhelpful television. So these are the basics that we're to keep doing well. These are the Christian piano scales. We don't need to employ an expensive life coach, although I'm sure they are helpful for some. If we follow Paul's teaching and the teaching of scripture, both our lives and this church will be transformed. Through practice, good habits form that will strengthen us for times of challenge. Let us then look after our relationships with other people. Be regular in our praise. Seek to maintain a good posture. Keep praying and seek out things that are pure. Let's now turn to God in prayer and ask him to send his spirit to help us begin right away.